May 3rd, 2015 is a significant date in my life that holds a special place in my heart. It's not my birthday, nor is it any of my family members' birthdays as far as I know. None of my very close friends have a birthday on this day that I can remember either. And if you do, and somehow, some way in the near future, you listen to this podcast, I apologize. Not only is it the day that AJ Styles walked into New Japan at Wrestling Dontaku and defeated Kazuchika Okada to become the new IWGP Heavyweight Champion, it became the first day that I became a New Japan Pro Wrestling fan. I may not understand one syllable of Japanese, but I understand professional wrestling very well. New Japan offers the kind of product that gives you fantastic matches, long-term storyline progression, Booking that doesn't insult the intelligence of the hardcore casual fan. Yes, even casual fans can get behind this product. The level of talent is second to none. And what they give you in the ring is so damn impressive. I was introduced to names like Okada, Nakamura, Suzuki, Naito, Nagata, Nakanishi, Tanahashi. I was introduced to the junior heavyweight division. You know, guys like Kushida. Takahashi, Bushi. They gave me flashbacks of the cruiserweights in WCW. When there was names like Jericho, Mysterio, Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero. I mean, second to none. I was enamored by events like Dominion, which is kind of like New Japan SummerSlam, if you will. King of Pro Wrestling, the World Tag League, the best of the Super Juniors Tournament, New Year's Dash, which is basically the Raw after WrestleMania, and of course, their version of WrestleMania, Wrestle Kingdom. But there's one event that captures my heart more than any of them. That event is none other than the G1 Climax Tournament. A little over three weeks of competition between the top 20 heavyweights in New Japan. A tournament rich with tradition that jump-started careers and gave us breakout performances from names you may not have kept an eye on, like Hangman Page, or names you never heard of before. Winners of the prestigious tournament have gone on to wrestle Kingdom and have become champion. Okada, Omega, Tanahashi, Naito, Suzuki, Nagata, Goto, and of course, Chono, Masahiro Chono. Look it up. They can all say they've won this tournament. Now, the last three days of the tournament are the most important and exciting days of the calendar year. And boy, they did not disappoint in 2018. Now you have two blocks consisting of 10 competitors. Each guy has nine matches. Whoever has the most points from those nine matches go on to the G1 Climax Final on Sunday. And the final on Sunday, the main event of the show, is one of the biggest matches of the year. What do you get for winning this tournament? Oh, nothing special, you know. Just a briefcase that pretty much guarantees you a shot at the IWGP Heavyweight Champion at Wrestle Kingdom 13. Now, Kota Ibushi and Hiroshi Tanahashi won their blocks to have the right to just make it to the Sunday final. And I'm definitely calling this one of the matches of the year. 
if not the match of the year. I mean, you have Omar Gargano in there, of course. But Abushi Omega was something special. And that was just to win the block to get to the final. On the other, in the A block, you had Tanahashi facing Okada. Now, before the match even happened, Jay White was also involved. Switchblade Jay White, former uh, IWGP US heavyweight champion, was facing Evil in the semi-main event. Now, if Jay White won and Okada lost in the main event, Jay White would have been in the final by points. But Jay White actually lost to Evil. And it boiled down to Tanahashi and Okada. Surprisingly, these two fought to a 30-minute time limit draw. Now, Okada had to win the match in order to make it to the final. And possibly go up against Ibushi. But a draw guaranteed Tanahashi the block. He got 15 points. Ending it with a 7-1-1 record. And it came down to Tanahashi and Ibushi on Sunday. The final day of the tournament not only gives you the finals of the G1 Climax Tournament in the main event, it starts the beginning of new feuds, new challengers gunning for the IWGP's top titles, the road to destruction in September, and most importantly, we begin the road to Wrestle Kingdom 13 on January 4th, 2019. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi fought back and forth for close to 40 minutes. I've already said this is one of the candidates for match of the year. And this was an instant classic. And I highly suggest you go back and watch not only just the final day of the tournament, but everything throughout the tournament. I haven't, unfortunately, watched most of the tournament because, well, most of us has li- have lives. And we have shit to do. But I definitely will be going back and watching those events from the tournament because I guarantee you at least one of those could possibly also be match of the year. And from what I've been hearing from guys like Sala Monster and all them, Omega versus Tomohiro Ishii was one hell of a battle. And I believe Ibushi and Ishii had one hell of a match as well. So I'm definitely going to be going back and watching those. In the end, it took three high fly flows from Hiroshi Tanahashi on Ibushi to gain the three count and become a three-time G1 Climax Tournament winner. Now, this makes him second on the list all time behind Masahiro Chono, who I believe has six, if I'm right. It's either five or six. I'm going to go with six for right now. I'll check later and probably be wrong. But, but after the three count happened, I felt overwhelmed with emotion after seeing what I had witnessed. I mean, seeing the A block from Friday and seeing the, the matches they'll go with there and then Tanahashi Okada in the main event going 30 minutes and not even getting a clear winner to what happened on Saturday with Ibushi and Omega and the story behind that with the two claiming they never wanted to face each other again. Well, they did because they had to because they were in the same block and we got something special. Man, that was a special weekend, I swear. It was three days of professional wrestling that many New Japan fans will never forget. 
three days of professional wrestling that I will never forget. And three days of professional wrestling that I get to talk about with you right here and right now. This is a very special episode four of the Young Lions Perspective. With that being said, let us fucking begin. Before we begin the episode, I want to take a little time to talk about the passing of one Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Um, I found out the news Monday morning. Um, Kevin hit myself and Nick up in our group chat and gave us the unfortunate news that the Anvil is gone. Um, uh, From reports that said he... uh, died from a fall, I believe, going down the stairs. Um, I'm still getting information on that, so if you have any information on it that I would like to know about it, um, hit me up at Suede Senator WWI on Twitter and just hit me with a DM and just let me know the situation of what actually happened to him, but this is this is one of those days where when I found out about it, I was really disheartened. I was at work at the time when I found out, and I was telling a few of my buddies who are also pro wrestling fans, and they were just as shocked as I was when they had initially heard of his passing, he was one of one half of the, one of the best tag teams in WWE's history of the Hart foundation with Brett, the Hitman Hart winning tag team championships. Um, then further down the line, you, you added in Owen British bulldog, Brian Pillman. And they became one of my favorite stables, if not one of the greatest stables of all time of the Hart foundation. They really, Killed it, especially in the Attitude Era when it was Brett and Sean going up against each other as rivals and the whole U.S.-Canada beef that went on when they were getting booed in every United States arena. But in Canada, they were pretty much the hometown favorite and just Canada's favorite sons. Knowing that just a few weeks back, we had four passings in one day. With Nikolai Volkov, Brickhouse Brown, Grandmaster Sexy Brian Christopher, and Terry Cadell. It was one of those things that, you know, we lost another one too soon. It sucked. It really did, it really did hurt my chest a little bit when I heard about it. But I know right now Natalia, his daughter, is definitely grieving with her family. She's with her family right now. Um, my condolences. My thoughts and my prayers go out to not just the Neidhart family, but to the Hart family as well, as they were both integral parts to each other in terms of the Hart Foundation. So rest in peace, Jim D'Anville Neidhart. Your maniacal laugh will never be heard by anyone else. Natty, like Rhonda said, we are all here for you and we are strong with you. Rest in peace, Anvil. What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling With Issues podcast here, and welcome to episode four of the Young Lions Perspective. And today on the docket, we finally get to talk about the G1 Climax Tournament Finals weekend. And this was some of the best in-ring product I have seen all year. Um, you can, you know, 
watch the WWE NXT 205 Live, and this set a bar for the rest of this month since we have, you know, TakeOver uh, this coming weekend and SummerSlam on Sunday. They better set the game up after this because the G1 Climax is nothing to fuck with. Some of the best tournament matches you'll see all year. But we start off the night going into it, boiling down to three people having a shot at being in the G1 Climax Final on Sunday. That was Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, and Jay White. Now, if Tanahashi won his match in the main event against Okada, or if they went to a draw, Tanahashi wins the A block and goes on to the final. If Okada won against Tanahashi, he needed Evo to win his match against Jay White, or if that particular match actually went to a draw, Okada wins the group, and he goes on to represent the A block in the G1 final. With White, he needed more than just a victory. He had to win his match, and Okada had to win his match in order to get him entry into the G1 Climax final, or if the main event itself ended in a double countout or a disqualification, White would move on to the G1 Climax final and face the winner of the B block. We start off the night, though, with Tomohiro Ishii and Sho, was one of the members of Rapongi 3K, the other being Yo. Going up against Toa Hanare and Shota Umino. Uh, this match was nothing to write home about. It was a decent little six to eight minute match. Um, a little bit back and forth, you know, just showcasing, you know, Hanare who came back from excursion. And Umino, who was a young lion trying to make a name for himself. And hopefully one day win the Young Lions Cup and gets his excursion like Hanare did. But on this night, it was not good for them. There, it, the win for them wasn't in the cards. Sho hits a deadlift German suplex. To get the three count and the victory over Hanari and Umino, at that point, the match fell kind of flat. It just ended abruptly. You know, show hits the deadlift German, and that was it. There you go. Uh, moving on to the next match, then. And we are with uh, Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga and Tonga Loa, going up against Toriyano and Gato. Now, we had Tamatanga on one side, who was going to take on Yano on B Block Saturday. And this was a decent little match. Um, to talk about Toriano for a second, he's the, the comedic member of Chaos. Um, he's like the producer, you know, cranking out DVDs like There's No Tomorrow. And he has a bit of a comedic style, but he has gained victories in the G1 Climax, namely against Tanahashi. And that was a shock win out of nowhere for a lot of people to notice that. Um, but the main part of his gimmick when he's in the ring is that he likes to run to the corner, uh, try not to be seen as he's tying, taking the ties off the pad of the turnbuckle and somehow coaxes his opponent to run to the corner. And at the last second, he moves out of the way and the opponent hits their head on the steel turnbuckle and somehow getting a pin off of that and getting his victories. Unfortunately for Yano, in this case, it did not work one bit. He tried three times take the pad off of the turnbuckle and it did not work and that's when Tangaloa and Tamatango went to work on Yano and got him out of the ring it got to the point where Gato was pretty much isolated it was a two-on-one deal uh Gato tried to fight off both Tongans but in the end Tangaloa gets hold of him and hits a seated pile driver that he calls ape shit to get the three count and the victory Tamatango getting some 
momentum going into his match against Yano on Saturday. We then went into Hiroki Goto and Yo, the other half of a Punky 3K, taking on Juice Robinson and David Finley. Now, the story with Goto and Robinson heading into their B-block match on Saturday was that Robinson had never beaten Goto, ever. In the two times that he challenged Goto for the Never Openweight Championship, he lost both times. And they were really good matches. Um, with Robinson, it, he was felt like he was so close to getting the victory, and he, could, and he didn't get the job done. He fought for the Intercontinental Championship and couldn't get the job done. He finally wins a championship, beating Jay White at the G1 Special in San Francisco. But there's still that lingering thought that, you know, I've never beaten Goto. But at the G1, I want to beat Goto to prove to everybody that I truly can beat him one-on-one. And I love that storyline between the two. And Kevin Kelly definitely articulated it very well intertwining the stories with between those two. But this was a really good match. Uh, pretty good back and forth with uh, each other. Goto and Robinson getting a little bit of action in there, um, building up the intrigue of their B-block match on Saturday. In the end, Goto wins with uh, his finisher, the GTR, which is kind of like uh, him holding him up and doing a lariat land and having the opponent land on his knee, on his, his back on his knee. And that gets them the victory there. So a nice win for Goto and Yo. The next match we had up, though, was really, really good. And it was Tetsuya Naito and Sonata going up against Zack Sabre Jr. and Taka Michinoku. I think a swig of water there, trying to keep my throat wet. This was a really good match. Um, The chemistry between Naito and Sabre Jr. was fantastic. And that definitely showed... In, their, in the tag match on Friday and going into their match, semi-main event match on Saturday. And they put on a show on Saturday. And we'll definitely talk about that when we get there. This was a good match, too. Um, Sonata definitely being one of those names you hear about, but you definitely have to watch the G1 for them to have a good showcase and show off what they can do in the ring. Very good back and forth. A lot of... Of strikes. I mean, Michinoku, Takamichinoku, he's a legend in the ring. Um, him and Sonata uh, were, very, were very well with each other. In the end, though, Sonata gets Taka in uh, his skull and submission and gets Taka to tap out and get the victory for Naito and Sonata. After the match, Sabre jumps Naito, goes after him, gets a couple shots in before his match with Naito on Saturday. Naito bails to the outside and started, you know, just goading him, telling him to come on, hit me, let's go, what are you doing? Uh, with us, um, Sabre Jr. getting more frustrated with Naito by the second to the point where he grabs a chair and it took about four or five young lines to hold him back as Naito was walking um, towards the backstage area. So my mind started racing was just like, man, this could be really, really fucking good. And I didn't know... We got the sem- them and the semi-main event until 12 noon local time. That was for both Friday. That was actually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We didn't get the cards until then. The, the matches weren't announced. And this was a really good match. And I would go out of my way if this were my first time watching New Japan. Um, 
having New Japan NJPW World app, and I would just go back at least for the under for the undercard matches. Definitely check out this match. Really good chemistry between all four men, and of course a nice little submission to end the match. Now the last of the undercard tag matches was none other than Kenny Omega. They're just they're just doing some cutting on my grass, huh? Trying to record here. What are we doing? I know bad radio. This is live, but we're keeping it. We had the elite of Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, going up against one half of the Golden Lovers in Kota Ibushi, Marty Skrull, and Chase Owens. Now, all six men are intertwined together in some way, shape, or form in terms of the Bullet Club or Golden Lovers, Leo. Of course, like I said before, the Elite, Omega, and the Young Bucks, uh, Kota Ibushi, and Omega, known as the Golden Lovers, Marty Skrull, and the Young Bucks being uh, the never-open-weight six-man tag team champions, mm-hmm. Chase Owens also part of Bullet Club. So there was I was really thinking, like, they're really going to let this happen? I know Ibushi and Omega had the main event, but you were going to let Ibushi and Omega go before Saturday? Not exactly. They literally went the entire match without touching each other once. Once. They threw they threw every punch, kick, knee, and elbow they could, and not one person got hit. Uh, there was a spot there where they were all posing to fight. Uh, Marty Skrull started doing his pose, the flapping of the wings, and then at one point, everybody started doing it. I don't think the ref did it, but the ref looked at them like, what are we doing? Come on. Let's fight here. And it, Got to a point where Ibushi and Omega were actually in the ring. And the first thought that crept into my head was, oh, shit. This gonna be good. But out of nowhere, you see the Tongans. Tonga Loa, Tama Tonga, and Bad Luck Fale attack all six men and beating the shit out of them. Thus, leading the referee to declare the match a no contest. Pretty much a disqualification. He threw it out. And like I said before, that was the main storyline of the tournament, just going after Bullet Club members, mainly Omega and the Bucks. But, I mean, this and this was a really good storyline to have throughout the tournament, especially for Tonga. Um, I hope at some point we do get a, you know, a little Omega-Tonga match. We did get that last year, and that was a really fucking solid match. That was one of my honorable mentions of 2017. It was that good. Go out of your way to watch that one. But um, after the attack happened and after everyone came to, unfortunately, you know, they were all apologetic, especially Nick when they had the shot of him uh, saying, you know, we're sorry, guys. We wanted to put on a show for you guys, but um, shit happens, you know. And that's where we ended the undercard matches going into the A block matches for Friday. We kick off the A-block matches with Togi Makabe going one-on-one with Michael Elgin. Uh, both men trying to get two more points and gain some momentum going into the Destruction Tour, which begins next month. And they started the brawl off early, laying into each other, stiff shots. I'm talking heavy chops, shoulder tackles, elbows, whatever they could throw at each other, they did. Uh, it got to one point where Elgin was in the corner, had Maccabe in the corner, and hit a huge chop that rang throughout the Budokan. 
according to Kevin Kelly and Rocky Romero, they were some of the best acoustics that the New Japan Tour had to offer for the G1 Climax. They were loud as fuck. And the crowd was so silent. When you heard that and the crowd then went, ooh, they felt it just as much as I did. Um, later on in the match, Elgin hits a really nice deadlift German suplex and only got a near fall on that. Maccabe finally got some offense in as the two started to trade more blows. They traded German suplexes, which were really, really good. Uh, Maccabe finally hitting a big lariat, takes Elgin to the top rope. Elgin fights back, shoves Maccabe, and hits a splash mountain bomb, and that only gets a two count. He tries to pick up Maccabe to get the Elgin bomb off. Maccabe held on for dear life and could not be picked up. Elgin getting frustrated. The end of the match gave us Maccabe cutting off Elgin with a Death Valley driver. He finally goes up to the top rope and hits his finishing move, the King Kong knee drop for the win. This was a great opener for the A-block matches. Two guys who can really lay down the hammer in the ring. Something to really keep us invested for the matches later on. A lot of really good back and forth. I enjoyed this match. Uh, I hope in the future they fight for a never title, the never open weight championship. That would be really nice. Um, but we never know. We don't know what's going to be hold, what the future holds for both Maccabe and Elgin. Hopefully, we get to see something really good out of them as we head on the road to Wrestle Kingdom. Up next, we have Yoshihashi going one on one with Hangman Page. And I remember listening to to the Solar Monster. I believe it was a, either this past Sunday or last Sunday. And he was talking about Tomohiro Ishii being the MVP of the G1 Climax. Now, if Ishii is the MVP of the G1 Climax, I'm going with Hangman Page as the rookie of the tournament. Uh, I really have grown to like Hangman Page ever since he joined the Bullet Club. He started really getting a name for himself, of course, starting off in six-man tag matches in ROH and then building his gimmick up there and building up very well, starting to get a name for himself. And he was chosen to be one of the top 20 heavyweights to be in this tournament. And I'm really happy that Hangman Page is getting the opportunity to show himself on a bigger stage, especially in the last eight block matches. They He wants to leave a mark on there, especially if he's going to be invited back next year. You definitely want to leave Budokan, knowing you got a victory. So, early on in the match, Page had control. At one point, hitting a shooting star shoulder block on the outside. That was insane. I was not expecting it that early, but it really looked good coming from Page. Yoshihashi then comes back with a headhunter, which is which pretty much was a glorified blockbuster off that. And then he goes over the top rope and hits a second and Hunter, and both of them look really, really good. Page cuts him off with a forearm. Then, after uh, Yoshihashi drapes him on the top rope, came back with a buckshot lariat. Now, I believe Yoshihashi was uh, hung him on the ropes and tried to go for a signature drop kick that he usually does in his matches, but Page somehow flipped over and hit that lariat clean on the chest, and that was a really, really nice spot for those two. That t- the timing of that was absolutely perfect. He follows up with a giant neckbreaker off the top rope, but Yoshihashi kicks at it too. 
he continually fought off the right of passage. It was it was pretty much both men at this point were going for their finishing moves. Uh, Page with the right of passage, and then you had Yoshihashi going for karma. Page hits a forearm. Yoshihashi responds with a super kick, and out of nowhere hits a Canadian destroyer that was literally a 2.9 on the pinfall. I thought that was pretty much going to be it. After that, Yoshihashi hits his finishing move, Karma, and gets two points and the victory. Ah, man, that was a really, really good ending, especially when I saw the Canadian destroyer come out of nowhere. That was insane. I really, I hadn't seen one of those in a long while. And the way Yoshihashi hit it, it was just so nice, uh, clean, just landed right where it needed to be. And the fact that it only got a two and a half, oh my goodness. Great ending to the match. Yoshihashi getting the victory over Hangman Page. We now look at Minoru Suzuki against Bad Luck Fale. And of course, um, the New Japan board... Uh, started catching, started realizing, hey, this could be a big problem with these two, and it led on later in this match, where to the point where New Japan had to actually put out an Instagram post after Friday's matches, and basically stated that if any of the Tongans, that included Tamatanga, Tongaloa, and Bad Luck Fale, got involved in any one of the B-Block matches, they pretty much would be suspended for three months without pay. Just to further the storyline with that there. But right out of the gate, Suzuki jumps on Fale. As as usual, Fale always tries to beat up the announcer or at least push him out of the ring. That's been his uh, little gimmick for a while. They storm around each other in the ring. Fale starts choking Suzuki with a cable wire. Pretty much this was a fight. Between these two, Suzuki is a is a brawler, and Fale is a big dude that literally can throw you across the ring with his bad luck fall. Um, Suzuki takes uh, Fale back to the outside after a little bit of time in the ring, throws him in against the guardrail, and then picks up a steel chair and then just starts blasting him with chair shots. The referee had had to get that away from Suzuki, knew it wasn't legal, tries to take away the chair. Suzuki ignored him, pushed him out of the way, and continued to beat up Fale with the chair. After that, throwing him in, into another barricade. Fale finally gets some action in. Cuts off Suzuki with a Samoan drop. Went for the grenade, which is pretty much he picks up. He has the man in a choke slam, And as he's coming down, he has the, his thumb jams it right into uh, the opponent's neck. Which is kind of like the same thing Umaga did. In his time in WWE, he had that uh, grenade. But that was uh, called the Samoan Spike. It was really, really nice. It's a really nice move to see. And actually beat Shinsuke Nakamura when he was uh, getting his brief Intercontinental title run. It's a fun fact for you there. Suzuki catches him in an armbar. Tangaloa then came out of nowhere, started beating up Suzuki. Fale goes for a splash and kicks out. Referee didn't see uh, Tangaloa come in to start beating him up. Fale starts going for the bad luck fall, which is his powerbomb finisher. Suzuki gets out of it, counters with a sleeper hold, but Fale somehow runs in, runs him into the corner and gets out of the hold. It looked like he was about to go for the pod, uh, the gotch pile driver, beg your pardon, when Tamatanga, of course, came in and started attacking Suzuki and laying him out with a gun stun for the DQ referee had to call it off. It was a nice little brawl between the two. I really enjoyed what they were going with. Um, hopefully... 
you know, I'm not sure if the storyline for the Tongans is going to continue in this fashion, or they're just going to continue battling guys. But I will say that whole storyline led into a match on Sunday. A little foreshadowing there for you guys. Um, unfortunately, you know, for Suzuki, he couldn't get the victory there over Bad Luck Valet. He gets two points for the victory. And a fun little fact that we actually had from this tournament, for Bad Luck Valet, it was the first time in G1 Climax history that he went nine matches and was never pinned or submitted. Let me say that one more time. It was the first time in G1 Climax history that a man went nine matches in the tournament and did not get pinned or submitted. He either won his matches or he lost by disqualification. As the case it was with Suzuki, he loses by disqualification. Now getting into the semi-main event, which gave us Evil and Jay White. For Jay White, I believe this is his first tournament, I was, I was really high on Jay White. Of course, you know the main players. You know, Tanahashi, Omega, Ibushi, you know, Okada, and Naito, Suzuki, all the names there. Jay White really, really, really has had a good year so far. And I'm considering him to be on the short list for um, one of the awards I'll be giving at the end of this year. Um, Future Star Award. He's definitely on the short list to make that happen for him. He is a, a great talent ever since he came back from Excursion and became the Switchblade, of course, ta- um, going after Tanahashi, trying to vibe for the Intercontinental Championship, won the United States Championship over Kenny Omega, def- uh, being the defending champion until the G1 Contact Special where he lost to Juice Robinson and was now a former IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion. For Jay White, like I said before, his opportunity was huge. If he could win and Okada got the victory against Tanahashi, he was going to the final. So it was a very imperative, it was imperative on Jay White to get this victory. Um, beginning of the match started with White laying out evil from the ring to the floor with a huge Saito suplex. He then suplexes him twice into the barricade, which has been his... Uh, little spot he's been doing not just since the entire tour but he's been he did it at the g1 climax special and unfortunately in the process jim ross did get injured as a result of that spot being done um eventually evil manages to get, cut him off and start getting some offense white cuts him off and hits a sto there went for the blade runner but as the referee got into the corner after uh he tried to push Evil into the corner. Referee was down. He hits Evil with a low blow. Um, that really got the crowd booing. He is a heel through and through. Even though he is part of chaos, he is a lone wolf, and they hate this man. Later on in the match, Evil managed to connect with his darkness falls, followed that up with a big lariat. He went for his finisher with uh, everything, is evil, everything is evil, and... His STO finisher, White cuts him off and gets a neck time suplex. Follows that up with a Kiwi Crusher for a near fall. Evil then cuts him off, went for a steel chair. Went for a steel chair. I'm sorry, I'm so excited about the G1. Referee takes it away, but there was two involved. Two chairs involved with that. Referee takes it away. 
White launches him off of his feet and hits a half Nelson suplex. We get another ref bump, and that's why we had the second chair. White tries to hit Evil with the chair. In mid-motion, though, Evil hits his, uh, everything is Evil SEO finisher, pins White for the three count, and gets the two points and the victory. This was very good. Um, Evil is one of those guys that can really go in the ring, especially with him and Sonata when they were uh, in the tag team division going for the heavyweight tag titles. He is damn good. He actually fought for oh, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, I believe, last year when Okada was holding the belt with, with his long run with the uh, championship. Very good match. Um, the win for Evil actually ended Jay White's chances become the a block winner and get to the final so it came it comes down to hiroshi tanahashi and kazuchika okada for those who have never seen new japan and don't understand the okada tanahashi rivalry it's one that i believe started in 2014 okada was coming back from tna that they horribly used him as okada and he kind of looked like the dude from the Green Hornet. Just wanted to let you uh, get that visual in your head as I take a sip of water. But this rivalry is something... Stuff, it's stuff a legend. It really is. Uh, I, I believe these guys have faced each other somewhere around like 10, 11 times. And it felt like every single match when they were fighting for the championship was so good. This this felt to me, this had shades of, you know, I would say like John Cena Triple H when they were fighting for the um, WWE Championship. It had that, uh, that feel of just like two big names going up against each other for the championship. And now knowing that you have to beat your rival to get to the G1 Climax final, this had this became bigger with the white loss. The crowd was hyped for the match. I was hyped for the match because this is a this is a rivalry that I enjoy watching, and drama all across everything. So much on the line. Start the match off. Okada hits a big shotgun drop kick. Um, he started off the speed early. He wanted to. Not only wear down Tanahashi, but beat him with speed and agility. And for a man who is pretty much like six foot five, two forty, this man is agile beyond belief. Tanahashi though slows it down, starts grinding him down, starts focusing on the name because Okada likes to hit that rainmaker with a lot of force. And of course, his main base, if he's going to drive him in, has to have a solid base. He slams it, slams it against the ring post, a la Brett the Hitman Hart. I love that spot. Slammed it again. And, oh, man, it, you can hear it. You can hear the sound of uh, his knee hitting the post. And Okada sold it very well. Um, after a little while, Okada then starts working over Tanahashi's knee, takes him to the outside, and he slams that onto the mat. Tanahashi uh, goes back into the ring, lands a running drop kick. Actually, Okada hit a running drop to the Tanahashi's knee, I beg your pardon, at the 10-minute mark. Now, with G1 Climax matches, besides the final, every match is 30 minutes. 
So keep that in mind as I'm telling you what's going on here. Tanahashi then connects with a senton. Okada actually dodges his, uh, Tanahashi's one of his big moves, the sling blade, sling blade, and takes down Tanahashi. Okada then hits a running drop kick. Another foot and hits another from the top rope. Okada goes for the tombstone, but Tanahashi actually reversed it and landed in tombstone of his own. That was a near fall. Okada then is on the apron. Tanahashi lands a huge drop, uh, drop kick. Sends Okada clear into the barricade, flying off, hits the barricade. Tanahashi goes up to the top rope to the outside and hits his his finisher, the high fly flow, the first of a few in this match. They just now at the 20-minute mark. Somewhere around the 20-minute mark, all of this happened. Tanahashi gets Okada back into the rings, continues to work over the legs, hits a couple dragon screw leg whips, and then locks in the cloverleaf and somehow transitioned it into a styles clash. And it looked really, really good. Something Styles may be proud of if you ever saw that. Okada gets out of the way uh, before Tanahashi went for a second of the high fly flow attempt of the match. Um, fast forward a few minutes later, Okada nails a drop kick, go, then hits another, goes for the Rainmaker. Tanahashi somehow, as he was coming in, connects with a sling blade. It looked really good. For the next few minutes, Tana, uh, Okada actually was going for the tombstone pile driver, but. He wouldn't budge. Every time he tried to go for the tombstone, Tanahashi reversed it. Then back and forth reversals. Okada actually reversed one, or at least tried to uh, duck the twist and shout, but he hits that. And now we're at the 25-minute mark. Like I said, every match besides the final is 30 minutes. Tanahashi hits another sling blade, goes to the top rope for a high fly flow. But at, when he, as he's going to land on Okada... Okada hits a humongous drop kick, hits the tombstone, goes once again for the Rainmaker, but he actually threw it three times, and Tanahashi dodged all three until a twisting Rainmaker landed. Okada then going for another. Tanahashi went for the inside cradle for a two count, goes for another Rainmaker, but Tanahashi then connects with a nice dragon suplex. We're now down to the last 60 seconds of the match. These two went at it. Okada, as hard as he could, tried to hit that Rainmaker. Misses it. Tanahashi slapped the ever-loving shit out of Okada. And he goes down. Tanahashi then goes up to the top rope, hits the high fly flow, but Okada kicked out. He then went for another one, but time ran out. And if he had a few more seconds, I guarantee Tanahashi would have hit his third high fly flow of the match. And he would have gotten the victory there. But unfortunately, we reached a 30-minute draw. And by way of the draw, Tanahashi has 15 points. And that gives him the gives him enough points to win the A block. And he earned his spot in the finals. This was a fantastic match from beginning to end. The drama between these two. I think the last time they faced each other, they also had a draw. So... If you And I think they had a little stat between Tanahashi and Okada that Tanahashi had not beaten Okada for over 1,300 days. I think at this point we're closer to 1,400, but, the, but that trend continued. Almost 1,400 days and Tanahashi could not beat Okada one-on-one. 
He cuts a little simple promo after the match, thanking the fans and promising them that he would win the G1 Finals. Hits a little pose, meets with people at ringside, and that ended A Block Friday. Final standings for the A Block were uh, Tanahashi got 15, Okada ends the tournament with 13, Jay White in his first tournament gets 12, Minoru Suzuki with 10, Evil with 10, and then there was a five-way tie between Elgin, Bad Luck Fale, Hangman Page, Togi Makabe, and Yoshihashi rounding out the block with six points. We're going to take a little break, and after that, we are going to get into B-Block Saturday, and of course, the championship between Tanahashi and who, you ask? Got to stick around to find out, guys. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. What's going on, y'all? Real quick, I just want to take time out to thank you guys so much for checking out the Young Lions Perspective Podcast. I truly and greatly appreciate it. Now, when it comes to the podcast as a whole, I'm always on the Anchor app. I'm listening to some of the podcasts that are on there. They've got some interesting content. It's a fantastic app to create a podcast at a moment's notice. I mean, you can literally be sitting somewhere like I am in the living room, rip out my phone, press record, do a little something for a couple minutes, and then publish it right there. Hell, even Gary V endorsed it himself, so you know it's really good. But since you and I know you're not on the Anchor app as much as I am, you can always check out the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher Radio, and of course that good old Spotify fam. I'm telling you, just search for Young Lions Perspective and you should find that without a problem. Now, speaking of podcasts, I want you guys to check out the other podcast that I'm on, the Wrestling With Issues podcast with myself, Nick, Kevin, Jay, and Clover. We give you guys an, an alternative perspective into the world of professional wrestling through our eyes. We are a crazy bunch, and we crack jokes, we make fun of people, we tell stories, we pretty much give you thoughts and predictions on what we think of the product as a whole. That's WWE, NXT, New Japan, we're doing it all with that, and you can find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course, that good old Podbean, baby. Finally, we have reached the point. Of no return tomorrow begins SummerSlam weekend, and I will be giving you my NXT takeover of Brooklyn 4 and SummerSlam preview and predictions. I can't wait to have you guys in my mind and see how I think, see how I would book the show. Who I think is going to win this weekend, you don't want to miss this episode. But for now, let's continue on with the G1 Climax Tournament Finals weekend review. Going into B-Block Saturday, we had a lot to look forward to in terms of match quality and very highly anticipated matchups. Of course, the main event being Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. We also had the huge semi-main event between Tetsuya Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. Of course, the frustration with these two now boiling over into their block match on Saturday. We also had the block match between Juice Robinson going up against Hiroki Goto, where Pride was on the line for Robinson. This was the flamboyant one's chance to finally prove that he could defeat Goto one-on-one. 
in a matchup. The last two times he did face Goto, which were for the Never Open Way Championship, he lost both. So this was his chance to redeem himself and finally get the win that he knows he can get over Goto. But the best moment of the night, and probably one of the best moments of the weekend itself, was Tomoaki Homa making his return to a New Japan Pro Wrestling ring. For those that don't know, Homa actually received a neck injury in a spot gone wrong against Yoshihashi last year. Um, There were reports that said he may never be able to wrestle again. So to see him coming down the entranceway to the ring was very shocking to me, and I really got behind Hanma. I was already a fan of Hanma's when he teams up with uh, Makabe as the Great Bashil. But seeing that Kokeshi head drop, head butt, I should say, again, really made me smile and really made me get more behind him. The crowd was already behind him from jump. It was already an emotional moment for Hanma itself. And just being back in that ring again, you know, he's not, it, it, everything wasn't crisp, you know, but trying to get that ring rust off. But, you know, just him being there and, you know, in a ring was always a plus for me. Now, all eyes in terms of the B block, we're on Naito, Ibushi, and Omega. In terms of points and all the scenarios that meant to these three, only one of these three men would go on to face the ace of the universe, Tanahashi, in the G1 Climax Final on Sunday. Like I said before, any number of scenarios will result in one of them going on to the final. For Ibushi and Naito, it was pretty simple win. Losing was not an option for either man. For Ibushi, it more than likely guaranteed him a spot in the final, given the fact that he did beat Naito in night one of the tournament. Naito needed a win just to keep pace and hope for an Ibushi loss. And then there was be a sort of scenario between Omega and Naito, but it was plain and simple. Win, and you have a chance. But the B-Blog Saturday match card started off with Michael Elgin and David Finley facing Toa Hanare and Shota Umino for what was known as the mythical C-Block Final. I promise you this is a thing. Listen to the commentary and I'm going to tell you what they were fighting for. Now, it was was between Finley, Hanare, and the young lion Umino. And according to Kevin Kelly... They were fighting for a one and a half inch thumbs up trophy. Again, I'm not making this stuff up. It was said on commentary. They actually had the trophy. Someone actually brought it out and brought it to the Japanese commentary table at ringside. One one of these three men was was gonna win a, a mythical block final. Um, the opener for this opener was actually a lot better than. The one we saw on Friday with Ishii and Sho going up against Umino and Hanare. Uh, Hanare and Umino opened up the action with some great teamwork spots. Uh, got a couple of good moves there. Elgin cuts Umino off with a belly-to-belly. And then Elgin and Finley getting some tag work in with some hard chops. Umino actually hits Elgin with a drop kick. And it actually worked. Um, Hanare hits a top rope tackle on Finley. Umino... Tags him in, unbeknownst to Hanare. Hits a top rope drop kick, and then a plot of Boston Crab to Finley. Um, 
Elgin jumps in for the save. Took a couple forearms. Nice chop uh, to break that hold. Umino was really clenching that in, and Finley was in pain. Elgin accidentally hits Finley. That allowed Humino to go for two cradles. Unfortunately, neither got neither got the victory for them. Finley makes his own comeback and hits Umino with a Uranagi and a stunner to get the three count and the victory. David Finley is your C Block final champion and won a one and a half inch thumbs up trophy. And he said that he would defend that trophy anytime anywhere i don't know how to feel about it i was literally laughing when i heard that <laughs> a one and a half inch thumbs up trophy in the mythical c block final only in new japan people only in new japan next up we had bad luck Fale and tanga loa going up against chase owens and hangman page and when i say this one went quick it went pretty freaking quick a nice quick ball to open up the matchup. Uh, Bullet Club OG is coming out on top of that. Paige and Owens then jumping Fale and Loa when they were making the ring entrance. Paige sent Fale to the floor. Owens and Paige started to uh, double up on uh, Loa. Paige gets the buckshot lariat. Owens hits the cover, but Fale comes in for the save almost at the end. The end did see, though, Tonga Loa hits a blue thunder bomb on Owens for a near fall. Page ducks a lariat from Loa and goes hit and hits a tope suicide on Fale. I'm telling you, it was clean, and he is the rookie of the tournament. I'm telling you. Owens went to go for a package power driver. Loa slipped out, hit a lariat, and then hit that seated power driver called Ape Shit for the victory. And they actually won clean. Surprisingly, a lot of people thought they were going to get the DQ. But a uh, nice little quick ball there. Let's say only four minutes, it says on there. Six-man tag action, though, we had the never-open-weight six-man tag team champions, the Young Bucks and Marty Skrull going up against Rapunky 3K, Sho and Yo, and Switchblade Jay White. Now, the match was decent, but it was more so about Jay White and Chaos. Uh, there's still a bit of dissension between the two, and... Rocky Romero on commentary did say he, um, you know, he and White had a conversation, you know, trying to get make sure they were both on the same page, and Jay White reassured him, you know, hey, I'm I'm with you guys, I'm with Chaos, I'm all in for it, and that was that was the main storyline of the match itself, you know, Romero getting the word from White, I'm with you guys, uh, started off with Skrill and White. White working on Skrull's arm, tags in show. Yo jumps in Ill illegally. Uh, Rapongi briefly took out Skrull and the Bucks. Bunks get back in there, hits a series of uh, double teams on uh, double team moves, I'm, I'm sorry, on show and Yo. Skrull tags in, gets a Boston Crab in there. Show was stretched on his back. Uh, we saw a bunch of super kicks from the Bucks. You've seen one super kick, you, you want to see them all. Every single one of them. White and Skrull tangled for a little bit. Yo jumps in to make the save. Uh, White, out of nowhere, was pleasantly surprised. He thought that he had finally turned Yo to his side. Uh, then, unfortunately for uh, White, Yo accidentally hit him. White bails to the outside, and he leaves the match, leaving 
Yo and Show to defend for themselves against the uh, six-man tag champs. And unfortunately, uh, the Bucks applied cease and desist on Show. White had the opportunity to make the save, but he refused. He pretty much walked as if he was going back to the ring to make the save. And he said, screw it, I'm out. Yo Tabs out. And the Bucks and Skrull get a non-title victory there. Evil and Bushi going up against Minoru Suzuki and El Desperado. Like I said in the A block, Evil's a beast. Minoru Suzuki is a beast. When you put these two together, they can brawl. You put Bushi and El Desperado in there, makes for a great action. This was pretty much a war. And from what I'm seeing here on the notes, uh, they're teasing a future match between Evil and Suzuki at a Rev Pro show. I believe if my mind serves me right, Suzuki is the undisputed British heavyweight champion over there. So, hey, we might get a title match between those two sometime in the near future. They they brawled everywhere. Suzuki using a chair on Evil, and Evil took a couple of shots from Suzuki. Brought the action back to the inside. Suzuki started uh, working on Bushi and working on the arm there. Evil finally gets a tag, and then he and Suzuki go at it. Evil actually hit a senton. Suzuki hits a Yakuza kick. Suzuki actually went for the PK. Evil caught it. Uh, drops his leg down. Finally gets the PK on Evil. Desperado jumps in, hits a spear. And then uh, Suzuki, of course, goes for that trademark rear naked chokes. Goes for the gotch. Bushi actually hit a missile drop kick and broke that up. Bushi uses a code breaker on Suzuki, who rolls outside. And Evil hits everything as Evil finisher on Desperado, and Evil and Bushi get the victory there. And finally, like I was talking about earlier, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Togi Makabe, and Tomoaki Hama making his return to New Japan, facing Kazuchika Okada, Gato, and Yoshihashi. This was more about, you know, Hanma making his emotional return to the ring, and of course, uh, sprinkling a bit of Tanahashi and Okada going on there. I won't go for more much in the match. I will say, though, Tanahashi, Makabe, and Hanma did get the victory over Okada, Gato, and Yoshihashi in nine minutes and two seconds. Though, ending there sees uh, Hanma actually hit a series of Kokeshi headbutts, each one getting a bigger reaction from the crowd than the last before it. Makabe goes up top, hits the King Kong knee drop on Ghetto, and they get the victory there. I'm just very happy that Hama is back in the ring. Even if it's just for a little while. You know, when you have something that's very emotional, like a re- like when Shibata came to uh, New Japan, I believe, was it New Japan Cup? Yes, it was either New Japan Cup or Dominion when he made his return. It wasn't a full-on return, but, you know... After the match that he had with Okada at Sakura Genesis, and those two pretty much head, it was Headbutt City with those two, but to see him back in the ring and pretty much say, like, I'm alive, that's all. He actually took a bump and just sat in the middle of the ring, just embracing the fans and embracing the love from the crowd. We got the same thing from Hanma on Saturday. That, and that was a really good moment. Um, not a tearjerker by any means, but it was just nice to see that kind of moment, seeing Hama being so emotional that he was able to even get back in that ring. It was really, really something special. Starting up the B-block matches, we had Toriano going one-on-one with Tamatanga. 
to be truthfully honest, this wasn't even much of a match. This was pretty much a five-minute beatdown in the hands of Tamatanga towards Toruyano. Um, before the match even started, Tamatanga was making his way to the ring with Tangaloa, and the referee immediately ejected Tangaloa, pretty much saying to Loa and Tonga, we're not going to have any of that tonight. You know you can't interfere in this match unless you want to get suspended for three months. Seeing that, Yano actually went for the immediate rope for a quick fall. He then goes to untie two turnbuckle pads. He sent Tonga into one, but Tonga actually sent him into the other one, hurting his back. That's when pretty much Yano realized he fucked up. Tonga started beating the crap out of Yano all over the ring, threw him into the barricade, just beat the crap out of him. He throws him back inside, and Tonga starts to choke him out. Literally hands around his throat trying to choke the life out of Yano. Referee tried to get him off. He shoves the referee, goes back to choking out Yano. Referee calls for the bell. Referee almost called for the bell. Fale and Lois start to come down. New Japan referees and officials, including the president, Harold May, pretty much ran down to cut them off and telling him, go to the back right now unless you want to get suspended for 90 days. Tonga then beats up a couple reps, including one when he was still choking out Yano, actually pulled Tonga's hair in order to get him off. Tonga was pretty much more than more than pissed, and then the referee received a gun stun for his troubles. Yano gets the DQ win there in two points in his last B-block match. We then had Juice Robinson go up against Hiroki Goto. Again, the rivalry between these two was just so good. Even though it was a one-sided feud at this point with Goto beating Robinson twice, you can tell that they could work together. They had a, I believe their second match was better than their first for the title. It, It seemed like Robinson had a little bit more oomph in that match with Goto, and I definitely enjoyed that more, and this was just adding another one to the list, and this was a really, really good match, starting off with some basic offense, couple drop downs, tackles, lockups, and clean breaks, Juice went to the apron, Goto locked in a sleeper, but on the break, Juice actually snapped Goto's injured right arm over the top rope, when you're doing these, this tournament, this is, like I said, in the beginning, three long weeks, of tournament action you're going going nine matches in pretty much like 18 19 days and somewhere down the line you're going to be hurt so you that's why he had that taped up arm now towards the end they both hit simultaneous lariats goto goes down juice stayed on his feet he goes for an attack off the ropes but goto catches him in one hell of a ushigoroshi unfortunately could not follow up Juice hits him with the juice box, those punch, that nice swift punch that he has. He was too drained to follow up, too, so it was it was pretty much a war of attrition at that point. Goto blocks a strike with his head, hits a headbutt, then hits an inverted GTR, but couldn't follow up. Juice went for pulp friction. Goto slips out. Juice hits him with that left hand that he took the cast out of uh, before the beginning of the match, or he would actually be disqualified had he kept it on. Hits pulp friction, and finally... It's the win that he felt he deserved. Exercises those demons, beats Goto one-on-one, gets two points in his last G1 Climax match. Immediately after the match itself, they made an announcement that the Bullet Club OGs, the Tongans, were actually escorted out of the building and we wouldn't have any interference from the three going on for the rest of the night. 
Tomohiro Ishii and Sanada. This match actually happened two years ago in Sanada's first run in the G1 Climax, where he got a surprising victory over Ishii. He actually hit him with the skull and submission and actually choked him out to get those two points from him. So Ishii was looking for a bit of revenge and two points, of course, getting a little bit of momentum going to that destruction tour in September. They started up with a nice opening sequence, Sanada doing flips and handsprings. Ishii just trying to keep out of the way of the strikes at the last moment. Ishii is a striker. Through and through. Watch any of his matches, you know, especially the ones with Makabe. Those guys threw down on each other. And you want to talk about heavy striking? Ishii can bring it all day long. Doesn't matter who's in the ring with him. If you want to try to go blow for blow with Ishii, you, you better bring a lunch bell because you're going all day. And Sanada realized that very quickly that he could match the, not match the power of Ishii. Hits a drop kick. That sent Ishii to the outside. And where Sanada actually hit a plancha, sends Ishii back, Ishii back inside and applies a chin lock to slow down the pace a little bit. Ishii almost went out from that chin lock. But he reached the ropes. And I love, like I said, I loved a lot of these matches. This was definitely one of those interesting matches like they could steal the show if they really wanted to put on a bit and they really put on now towards the end Sanada goes for skull end crowds chaining for Ishii at this point they want Ishii to get this victory Ishii escapes but appeared to pass out the second time after he got thought he escaped with the hold Sanada puts it back on and appears to have passed out I thought the match was over right then and there I thought they were just going to do the Lift his arm up three times, and that was pretty much it. But Sanada then lets go, goes up top for a moonsault. Ishii pops up. Sanada tweaked the knee on the once he landed. Ishii hits a sliding lariat on that knee after an onslaught of strikes from Ishii. Sanada hits a tiger suplex for a two count. Sanada then goes for the Muto special. Ishii escapes, hits a shining wizard after, a, and then there were some good reversals. I believe. Sanada was going for Skull Land, gets out of it. Ishii was going for a vertical drop back, uh, Brain Buster. He got out of that. Um, that ended with a couple of hard lariats for a two count for Ishii. And then at the end, he hits the vertical drop, Brain Buster, gets the one, two, three, and two points to end the campaign for him in the G1, avenging the loss that he got two years ago. Semi main event. Zack Sabre Jr. and Tetsuya Naito. In any other night of the G1, this would have been a main event. I'm not saying it's unfortunate that it wasn't the main event because it was a damn good semi-main event. I loved this match. It was one of my, it's definitely my favorite match. One of my favorite matches of the weekend. If there was a top five, this would definitely be, I'd say, Two or three. And then you can work that with uh, Tanahashi and Okada, of course. Um, they started up the match, of course, Sabre being frustrated with Naito from the tag match before on Friday. And in the beginning, Naito was just stalling, doing the usual Naito things that he does, his train Kyo style, trying to keep the pace calm. But he actually went for a signature pose. And then out of nowhere, Sabre Jr. just grabs his arm and goes for the arm bar. 
Then he mocks the Tranquillo pose of his with his own Tranquillo pose, and that really frustrated the crowd just a little bit because they because they really hate Suzuki Goon. They're Suzuki Goon are like the true heels of New Japan. Naito hits a series of arm drags. Saber Junior transitions to a head scissors, really t- trying to get for like really twerk the neck of Naito. Applies a pair of submissions, but Naito slides out of that, and that's what I loved about Naito and Saber Junior on Friday that we got more of on Saturday was that styles do make fights and these two, these guys styles, they work together. Like I said, Naito being, you know, the calm tranquilo, tranquilo, as he likes to put it vibe. And, you know, Sabre Jr. Being very serious technician submissions, all that stuff. And this made for a very good match. Now towards the end, you started to see uppercuts, Saber hits a leg lariat, turns that into a STF, transitions to another hold. Naito gets into the ropes. He was at this point, I thought Naito was in trouble. But Naito hits a pair of chops. Saber sold that very fucking well to his neck. He made he was hitting hard. Now Naito hits a hardback elbow to the neck, then it hits a tornado DDT. He was going for a signature move as Gloria. Saber turned that into a triangle choke, but Naito bridges it into a cover for a near fall. Crowd was invested big time in this match. The crowd was going, it was, I think it was both sides at one point, and then it was towards Naito towards the end. Now, the end of the match scene, Sabre Jr. go for a PK, hits another. He goes for the third, but Naito catches it and actually hits a German suplex. Naito hits a flying form, but Sabre used that as a European clutch for a two count. Sabre goes for the cradle into the bridge for another two count. He slips. He gets Naito in the octopus hold, but and Naito fighting with everything he had somehow slid out and actually hit Destino, and that was really clean. The way he slid out, jumped up, and actually hit Destino. Crowd was going nuts. They thought Naito was about to take the victory. Naito actually went for a second Destino. Saber, out of nowhere, somehow catches him and then just slams him down with the Zack Driver, and he gets the upset victory thus taking Naito out of the equation to become the winner of the B block. And it came down to Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. I'm not even going to talk about the match itself. I can tell you Ibushi did win. But I want you, as maybe a person who doesn't watch New Japan, or doesn't have NJPWWorld.com, um, A, I would highly suggest watching it if you definitely want an alternative form of pro wrestling, especially in the strong style form. It's a very good style that you see a lot of wrestlers in WWE actually use. You know, Nakamura, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles has some of it, of course. But I'm recommending you watch this match. For me to just look at you know, the notes on my tablet from the Wrestling Observer really doesn't do it justice. I honestly can tell you this was definitely a strong, this is definitely a strong contender for match of the year, if not the cleater in the clubhouse for match of the year, as I said in the open. It was everything I would want. You had storyline, of course, the two being in the same tag team as the Golden Lovers, you know, swearing that after their 
2012 DDT Pro match that they would never face each other again. That was more than enough to keep you invested in and of itself. Given that, given the story that, you know, Kenny Omega gets somewhat ousted from Bullet Club, he's on his own, Ibushi pretty much, you know, saves him and gets him back to prominence, leading to a is a heavyweight championship match with Okada and finally becoming the champion of IWGP, of, of New Japan, becoming that champion with Kota right behind him. The Young Bucks and then, you know, getting intertwined, they all come together. It, it was a bit hesitant between the four of them and then they became together, you know, as one, I guess, unit, somewhat of Bullet Club, but it makes it work. And they... And when Kenny won the championship and all four of them there, it was a very special moment for that. And Ibushi, of course, if you watch the Cruiserweight Classic, he can go. Kenny Omega, proof's in the pudding. He's the the best bout machine for a reason. Watch this match. That's all I'm going to really say about it. Because, like I said, for me to read from a tablet doesn't do it any justice. But Ibushi does get the victory over Omega. He wins the B block, and he will go on on Sunday to face Tanahashi. And maybe, maybe we get Ibushi Omega too? Or we get Tanahashi Omega. Who knows? Final B block standings had seen Kota Ibushi win the block with 12 points. Omega ends with 12. Zack Sabre Jr. actually adds another two points. He finishes with 12. Naito, of course, out of the running at that point. Ends it with 12. Ishii actually finishes one with 10. Sanada gets eight. And there was a four-way tie at six between Goto, Tamatanga, Toriyano, and Juice Robinson. G1 Climax Final Sunday. Probably one of my favorite days of the year. Besides my birthday, the Royal Rumble, Thanksgiving, and Christmas... The G1 Climax Final is one of my favorite days of the year. Because it, like I said in the open, it starts new feuds. Heading into the Destruction Tour in September. The ending of the G1 Climax Tournament that I didn't want to end. I want another three weeks of it. But we have to start the tour for Destruction and Kobe. And it's always one of those shows where you don't know what to expect. You don't know who to expect. And that's what I loved about this show. We got Ray Mysterio Jr. on the card. Cody was on the card. Mr. Pantsoff Danceoff himself, Tai Chi, was on the damn card. We had a never openweight six-man tag team championship match that pretty much came out of nowhere on the card. You know, the Suzuki Goon LIJ feud continuing. That was on the card. Of course, you know, Chaos taking on Bullet Club in a six-man tag. Leading into, of course, the G1 Climax final itself between Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. Let's go over the results of the undercard matches before we talk about Tanahashi and Ibushi. And it started off with Tomoaki Homa, Togi Makabe, and Michael Elgin defeating Yuji Nagata and a duo of young lions of Shoto Umino, who has been prominent for most of the tour, and Ayato Yoshida in seven minutes. Bad Luck Fale took on Toa Hanare in a singles match that pretty much ended in two minutes. 
Hinari tried to jump Fale before the bell, looking for the quick win. Hit a couple tackles, one off the top. Nearly got a uh, near fall. Uh, Fale quickly recovered. Hits a grenade, that nice little thumb to the throat, and hits the bad luck fall for the victory. So that was a quick one there for the folks. Tai Chi and Takashi Izuka defeating Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. Uh, pretty much a good amount of action of uh, Tai Chi bring, pretty much being like that goth, you know, singer type deal with Abe Miho by his side as his valet. Uh, Izuka being pretty much a crazy psycho with a damn iron hand that will just hit you across your head and make your feelings hurt. But uh, this was a good little match between the two teams. Uh, tai Chi and Izuka getting the victory there. Cody returns to New Japan Wrestling, Pro Wrestling, to take its team with Hangman Page, taking on Juice Robinson and David Finley. Uh, this was a nice little match here. Uh, mainly the focus was on Juice and Cody. And now, all of a sudden, Cody Rhodes has challenged Juice Robinson for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. This was a pretty much established um, once you saw Cody make his return. I had a strange feeling that I, w- I was hoping Heyman Page would be the next one to get the shot, but once you saw Cody, you kind of had an idea just like, maybe this could work. And in the end, Cody hit the dusty jabs on Juice. Finley jumps on him and cut him off. Page hit Finley with the buckshot lariat. Juice hit Cody with some jabs. Cody then clocks Juice with a disaster kick. But um, at the end saw Juice going for Pulp Friction. Cody reversed it into the Din's fire and gets the one, two, three. Uh, Cody grabs the mic, uh, cuts a promo on Juice after the match, and had the title on his shoulder, challenging him for the U.S. championship. And honestly, I really do want to see that. Um Rhodes and Robinson sounds pretty damn good to me. Um, maybe they'll hold off on it for a while. Maybe they'll have it on the Destruction Tour. Who knows? But I know that when I do see that match happen, I'm going to enjoy the fuck out of it. We then had Tama Tonga, Taiji Ishimori, the new Bone Soldier, and Tonga Loa taking on Marty Skrull and, young, and the Young Bucks in what was supposed to be just a regular non-title six-man tag. Tonga Loa... Pretty much, uh, the, the Tongans and Ishimori pretty, pretty much tried to, like, go them to put the titles on the line. I think they're the best six-man tag on team on the planet. Prove it. Put the titles on the line. Now, very sneaky detail there. Excuse me. Harold May was actually outside of the ring, already present, just watching the matches, and... They pretty much, at, the Bucks actually asked the crowd, do you want to see a six-man tag team title match? Crowd was into it. They pretty much said to Harold May, if you're down to have this happen, we'll put them titles on the line. And unfortunately for the Bucks, they'd wish they never had put the titles on the line. We, Ladies and gentlemen, we have new never open weight six-man tag team champions in Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, and the Bone Soldier Tajimori, Taiji Ishimori, I'm sorry, winning the titles. The end saw Ishimori making a blind tag to Tonga, who was hurt in the corner. The Bucks believed they were still working. They're working on Ishimori. Ishimori and Loa take out the Bucks. 
Skrull jumps in and went for that finger break spot, but Tamatanga hits a gun stun out of nowhere for the victory, and they are now the six-man tag team champions. Of course, like I said earlier, Naito, Sanada, Evil, and Bushi, L.I.J. going up against Minoru Suzuki, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and El Desperado, the junior heavyweight tag team champions right now, and Zack Sabre Jr., so you know there was going to be a lot of intensity, especially after Zack Sabre Jr. got the victory over Naito just one day ago. But in the end, Naito, Sanada, Evil, and Bushi band together and actually get the victory over Suzuki Goon. Now, from what I had heard early in the tournament, there was a bit of dissension between LIJ, but somewhere during the middle of the tournament, they all finally got on the same page and banded back together. You can see it at the end when they all put their fist up in the ring and all of them met. Now, I know that Takahashi is out for, I believe, nine months with a neck injury that he suffered when he, in his match against Dragon Lee. Uh, get well soon, Mr. Time Bomb. We hope to see you soon in the ring. Maybe sometime around, you know, Wrestle Kingdom 13, you can, you know, make an appearance and just be like, hey, I'm here for the guys, you know, even though I'm still hurt. I'm here for the I'm here for the squad. We then had Tomohiro Ishii, Toruyano, and Switchblade Jay White going up against Ome- Kenny Omega, Yujiro Takahashi, and Tokyo Pimp himself, and Chase Owens. Now this was an interesting match, but the main thing we should focus on at the end of it was um, Omega being challenged by Tomohiro Ishii for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Now, during the tournament, Omega was on a huge roll. A lot of people thought that he was going to go undefeated. I think he was already five or six wins in before he ran into Ishii, and Ishii stopped his chance at winning you know, going undefeated for the entire tournament and what was a great battle from what I heard and probably and what, from what I'm seeing, one of, if not the best match of the tournament. That remains to be seen because we still have Tanahashi Ibushi to talk about. The end did see, though, Yano, White, Omega, and Yujiro brawling on the floor. That left Owens and Ishii in the ring. Owens hitting a rolling elbow and a lariat on Ishii. Picked up a two count off of that. Ishii coming back with a lariat, hits that vertical drop brain buster on Owens for the victory. After the match, though, and this is, like I said, what we should mostly focus on. Actually, before I even get into that, there was actually one spot in the match where Yano was getting worked over by Omega and Owens, and they just refused to tag Yujiro the entire time they were working over Yano. Um... All of them were, they were just working on each other, wishbones and all that stuff. Yujiro finally just jumps in and pretty much everyone was going for a wishbone on each other. And um, Peter, who is the, I guess, bullet babe of the group, goes in the middle of this, uh, I guess, a six-man wishbone deal, if you will, and just starts twerking. Yeah, right in the middle of all six of them. And Omega literally had to get up and tell her to get the fuck out of the ring. Get out, get her out of the ring. Takahashi was trying to calm him down. He was like, no, get her out of the damn ring. Uh, That was one spot that actually stuck in my mind. That was kind of a funny one, but I was just like, wait, so she's she's twerking while they're all doing wishbones. Okay. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up, I promise you. It's on the show. But the main, like I said, the main focus is we're going to be getting Omega Ishii for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Ishii didn't even have to say a word. 
He grabbed his title, looked at him, pretty much looked through his face and pretty much said, I'm going to challenge you for this title. And Omega grabs the mic, asked the crowd if they wanted to see the match one more time. They were pretty much all for it. And now we're pretty much going to be getting Omega Ishii 2 for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. I really need to go back and watch that first matchup because from what I'm hearing, this match was crazy. Super freaking crazy, and I'm all for it. Now, up next, we had Rey Mysterio Jr. making his second match in New Japan. He's trying to finish his obligations. Of course, the news going around that um, it's an imminent signing that he's going to be picked up. Of course, you know, Rey Mysterio is going to be a pre-ordered you know, character mm-hmm. in WWE 2K19. They wanted to get him in before October, but he wants to finish his obligations first before he goes back to the WWE, teaming up with Kushida and pro wrestler Sengoku Enbu, which is actually from a mobile game that they have over in Japan. Now, they actually said it on here, and we all knew Enbu was Ryusuke Taguchi, uh, the funky weapon. He was actually dressed to be the character of the video game itself. Um, this was a nice little match uh, between the two, and I think they were trying to get a little thing between... Okada and Rey Mysterio, that David and Goliath aspect, they actually worked pretty well together from what I saw. Uh, in the end, though, Mysterio Jr., Kushida, and Sengoku Enbu get the victory over Okada Show and Yo. Um, I'm hoping to see Okada Rey in the future, maybe before. I'm not sure exactly sure when Rey's going to be going back to WWE, but if it's anytime between now and October, I hopefully they can get that match in there because that would be something I'd really like to see and enjoy. But now we are at the G1 Climax 28 final. Hiroshi Tanahashi going for his third G1 Climax. Kota Ibushi going for his first. As much as I love Ibushi Omega, Tanahashi Ibushi was right up there too. And at the match's end, I had the same overwhelming emotion that I had when I saw Ibushi and Omega. This was one of those matches where you would want to see it again and again, and you'd never get bored of it. You had you had Omega in Ibushi's corner, and you had Shibata actually corner Tanahashi before the match started. And seeing Shibata there was just another shock moment for me. I didn't expect to see Shibata at the show or the tournament at all. I knew he was still rehabbing from his injury. But to see him there, it made it more special. I guess it made it more of a serious moment for both guys. From the gate, Tanahashi wanted to ground Ibushi immediately. Because you know, Ibushi's known for being a high flyer. He wants to keep him grounded using the body scissors. He tees an arm bar. Ibushi gets to the ropes, forcing the break. Tanahashi stops a takedown attempt, stuffs another, and then Tanahashi had the advantage in the wrestling game. And it's something that I like to see from Tanahashi. A lot of people... I compare Tanahashi kind of to a John Cena in a sense, but I'd say Tanahashi's in-ring work is so much better than John Cena's overall game. You can at me if you want to tell me John Cena's better than Tanahashi, and I beg to differ. But Ibushi started making it into a striking battle. He appeared willing to trade, but no one really knew significant threats from the game. Um, Tanahashi takes it back to the mat. Ibushi gets a head scissors after a nice little scramble back to the feet. Tanahashi hits a shoulder block, starts playing air guitar, his signature move there, doing the air guitar for the fans, 
Ibushi jumps back to his feet immediately, hits a couple of kicks. Tanahashi grounds him immediately, attacks the legs with kicks, applies a triangle scorpion hold, but Ibushi actually reached the ropes. And I love the... Now, this had vibes of Naito and Omega when they had their G1 Climax final. It was starting to head down that route where the crowd was heavily invested. I mean, it's a G1 Climax 28 final. It's the final. They're going to be heavily invested. But usually, the, it all depends on who is in the final. Naito and Omega was an amazing final when they had that, I believe, last year. It was an amazing final. Tanahashi Ibushi was an amazing final. Later on in the match, Ibushi actually hit a double foot stomp from the apron, and it was a nasty spot. Follows up with a series of mid-kicks to the center in the center of the ring. Tana finally catches one, hits a dragon, starts hitting up with that dragon screw. Ibushi gets another stomp, though. Tana hit a pair of drop kicks on Ibushi. Goes up to the top, Ibushi cut him off. He teased a long darting Tana into the corner pad. Tana counters, Tana somehow countered into a sling blade. I don't know how he do it. I rewatched it three or four times, that simple spot, and I can't figure out how he did it. They traded some, some short arm form strikes. Ibushi low bridges Tanahashi on a charge into the ropes. Tanahashi tried to skin the cat. Ibushi catches them, though, hit him with a spike package pile driver that looked real nasty and that only got a two count. The crowd was really starting to get into it. Later on in the match, Ibushi hits a bridging suplex for a two count, grabbing control of Tanahashi's wrist and actually went for the Kamagoye, his finisher. Tana rolled him up for a two count right before that. Ibushi hits a bomaye, goes for the last ride, but Tanahashi dropped out of it and actually hit a huge left hand to his face region. Ibushi then followed up with a series of palm strikes to the chest, sent Tanahashi into the corner with a kick. Tanahashi gets back on his feet and hits a palm strike of his own. The two start trading rights and lefts, and Ibushi started hitting Tanahashi, and, Ibushi, and Tanahashi actually just kept walking towards him. The harder he hit, the more Tana, the closer Tanahashi got to him. They traded smacks to the face. Ibushi ended the exchange with a lariat. By this time, I'm just watching in awe of this. They're, I usually try to sometimes like talk to myself during the matches like, holy shit, oh my god, wow, holy crazy moment. It got to the point in the last, I'd say, about 10-15 minutes where I was just speechless. And special matches like these get me that way. Almost Gargano did the same thing. I was speechless at a point where I'm just like, wow. You're, I'm just, in, I'm being a fan of the, I mean, not just the person who does a podcast. I was truly a fan. The ending gave us Tanahashi going up for top for a high fly flow. Ibushi got his knees up before he actually hit the ground. Ibushi goes for a bomaye to the back of Tanahashi's head, hits a moonsault into double knees across the sternum. He did the same move to Omega in their match on Saturday. But this time around, he hit it a lot more clean than he did with Omega. The knees literally were pointing down into Tanahashi's chest, looking as if he was trying to cave him in. That was such an amazing spot. Ibushi finally gets to lawn dart Tanahashi into the turnbuckle pad, follows up with kicks to the back. 
Tanahashi again gets on the apron, allows Ibushi to German suplex him back inside, and that was in another great spot in that match. And the, and the strength of Ibushi, to me, is un, to some, I guess to some people, is underrated. It's very underrated, and he can really, when he hits that spot very nicely, and he's hitting on a who's who of talent in New Japan, it looks amazing. That only got a two count. Ibushi then hit a last ride, and that got a two count, and the building already at that point was going ballistic. Tanahashi contorted away from the Kamigoe, somehow got out of it. Ibushi then hits a straight jacket German for a two count. Tana then hit twist and shout twice. Hits a German suplex for a two count. Then goes up top for a high fly flow. He hits that. Then he hits it on Ibushi's back, and that was only the second. Ibushi then got to his feet. Tanahashi was already at the top rope, hits a third high fly flow, gets the pin, and we have the winner of the G1 Climax 28. For the third time in his career, the ace of the universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi, wins the G1. And I had had said on Twitter that I wanted Ibushi to win for the simple storyline of seeing Ibushi Omega 2. But when you really think about it, Tanahashi winning actually opens up a lot of avenues. No, we don't get Ibushi Omega 2 for the championship. That would have been a very dope match. But I think when I'm looking at storyline purposes, I think Tana is the better decision than Ibushi. And I'm really excited to see Tanahashi Omega. That's if Tanahashi can defend the battle rights to the certificate contract. Now that and now, as did say it on Twitter, Tanahashi now has to go through three matches between the Destruction and Kobe Tour and Wrestle Kingdom. Three men can easily just step up and say, "I want to challenge for your certificate. I want my main event spot at Wrestle Kingdom. I want to fight for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship," and they'll get their chance, starting on the Destruction Tour. Tanahashi will have to defend that three times. If he wins all three matches and Kenny Omega defeats Ishii and whoever he may have to face along the way to Wrestle Kingdom, we will be guaranteed to get Tanahashi and Omega in the main event at Wrestle Kingdom 13 on January 4th, 2019. Well, guys, that's going to be it for episode four of the Young Lions Perspective podcast. I'd like to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to check out the podcast. Now, if you like what you heard, please do not hesitate to share this episode with the world. Tell a friend and tell a friend. Put it on your social media and let everyone know that the Young Lions Perspective is here to stay. Now, again, I am super excited to give you my preview and predictions for NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4 and SummerSlam coming tomorrow. Technically, it is already Friday. It is 12.27 a.m. I really need to go to bed. Uh, all before I go, all notes that I got from my tablet talking about the show as a whole were from Wrestling Observer F4WOnline.net. You can always check out the results there. They always have good articles, always have good uh, results to talk about with the world of pro wrestling as a whole. Guys, you have a great day. Get ready for the preview and prediction show, and I'll see you soon. See you.